0: Good morning. So uh, maybe the greatest message ever delivered was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You remember um, it has to do with blessed are, and then he lists several people that are blessed. One of the blessed people or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, satisfied, that need will be met. So what I'm about to say is for those who have ears to hear it, it's not a, um, a put down, or uh, a separation of people. It's just simply that uh, some people are um, going to be right at that place where you're hungry for it. And if you're not hungry for it, you can't make yourself hungry, um, you just have to wait till you are hungry. Does that make, make sense? So for those who have ears to hear what I'm uh, saying, got a great prayer movement that's really taking root at each campus. And for this campus, uh, it's on Saturdays, an hour before uh, the 4 o'clock. starts at 2.45, goes to 3.45. Um, just want to say this: If you ever need prayer for healing, that's where you would go. If you just are hungry for more than what you get sitting in a service, or just like you know, just you feel like the Holy Spirit's just been stirring that up inside of you. That's why I say it's a timing issue. While I think that God wants all of us to be hungry and wants to satisfy uh, all of us, it's a it's a timing issue in our lives when we're at that place of hunger and thirst, you're blessed because at that place, God can satisfy that inside of you. And that's not at the same place for everybody at the exact same time. So just for those who have ears to hear right now, if you're at a place where, you know, the Bible says, stir yourself up to take hold of the Lord. If that's where you're at in space and time, I just want to invite you to it. And if you're not there right now or schedules don't permit or, you know, whatever, um, maybe just file it. And remember it, and maybe it'll be useful for you in the in the future. But uh, I just want you to have a personal invitation uh, to it. It's really uh, it's a powerful thing, um, and we're just we we've been um, preparing it and meeting, and we feel like we can offer it now publicly. There's a there's a support to be able to uh, to offer it publicly. So uh, it's Saturdays, two forty five, three forty five, and it's downstairs. And if you're like, we're downstairs, it's just not that big, you'll find it when you, when you walk down there, trust me. Uh, not, a, not a difficult thing. Okay, our series is called To Die For, and I know that that's a pretty dramatic title. Let me tell you where it comes from. Came into the first of the year realizing that many people do New Year's resolutions. That's great, want to encourage it. Uh, of, of all the New Year's resolutions, um, there are three biggies that people always pay attention to. The first one, probably the most popular, and um, if I said yes, you'd, you'd get it. It's, it's physical. People uh, pay attention to how I'm doing physically. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat right, take care of myself, get in shape, uh, health, that kind of thing. Uh, I would totally encourage that. I have a little bit of fun with New Year's resolutions in saying that, you know, you go to the gym in January and they're packed, you get there in February, and not, not so much, right? So the time to start is probably February, not January. But um, uh, I, I would just encourage it. I, it sounds like... Um, in, in a way, I'm making fun of them. I'm not. Uh, it, if you know my story, you know, a year and a half ago, I had a heart attack. Um, no warning and no no symptom prior to it. And health is a funny thing. You never think about it until all of a sudden it's almost taken away from you or is taken away from you, right? And then all of a sudden, you get real serious about it. Like, I'm going to eat right and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things that I should be doing. Uh, h- healing is a wonderful thing, but health is better. Amen. You understand what I mean? Like, healing is... I'm glad it's a part of what we're offered. I'm glad that Jesus provides that for us. But you don't want to have to rely on healing to make it through life. God allows us to choose health and to be smart. And I would just encourage you, as you're making these resolutions, it's great, man, do them, because they're really important for the future. The second one people pay attention to is just uh, their spiritual life. A lot of times at the first of the year, uh, people recognize one of these two things, I'm not where I want to be spiritually, and so, hey, New Year, and I don't know what it is in our psyche. It's just part of the human nature, maybe Western culture. It's like first of the year, new beginning, let's get after it. I would encourage that. Uh, sometimes we're raising children in the middle of life, and we just realize, man, my kids aren't getting what I was exposed to. Our schedules aren't permitting it. We're just so busy. And we make determinations, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I want to expose them to this. I want to encourage you, you know, like the gym thing, don't let January be your only effort, man. Um, s- s- keep at it. Roots take time. Uh, habits have to develop. Uh, it will pay off for you, and it's a wonderful thing when it does, and you're making great decisions and look forward to what God's going to do. In that. And then the third one, uh, and it's, it's as equally important as the other two, a lot of times people consider their financial health, you know, where I'm at. I want to get my financial house in order. Uh, I've taught this for years. You're made up of three parts. You have a body. Yep, yep. So you may not like it, but you <laughs> have one you got a mind, and you have a spirit. You're those three things. You agree? Okay, so this is true, and this is not Eastern philosophy. This is is biblical. If one of the three get unbalanced, it affects the other two. So if you get worn out physically, how difficult is it to pray? And if you're being attacked spiritually, how do you feel emotionally? Do you get what I mean? So they all... They all interplay with each other, and that's why these are important things. I'm not making fun of them, but at the same time, there has to be more than just getting a fast start in January and then 11 months of struggle, right? right. right? And then hoping, okay, 2019, I'll get after it again. We need something better than that. We need something that's more solid than that. We need something that allows us to really go forward. So to die for then really just comes from the idea that people, um, in, in, at the first of the year, we're like, what's really important? That's what people are doing. What's essential? I want to do the essential things, the important things, and that's, that's the title. I didn't mean it to be overdramatic. I'm just trying to, let's, let's go after the essential things. And because we're in church and I'm a pastor, I'm talking about the spiritual issue in particular. And so I'm trying to just get it down. Spiritually, what's essential? What's the to die for issue? And I said this yesterday. Uh, the reason it's important to know what to die for, you don't know what to live for until you know what to die for. If everything is essential, then nothing is essential. You understand what I mean by that? And so figuring out wh- where you only have so much time and so much energy and <laughs> so much of anything, resources so limited, how to know where to put it to get the most out of it. That's the nature of the message right here. All right, it's so the last message in the series. Start a new series uh, next, next week and uh, you know, off we go. This one will be, will be done. So in wrapping it up and finishing it, uh, when I was studying it, I was just looking, was there anything in the Bible that's like just, it's, it's just boiled down, this is just the most essential? I found two things. I didn't say this last night. Um, it just could, you know, it's a rabbit trail. Um, the first essential would just be, Jesus was asked the question one time, what's the most important, the most essential? And you remember he just said, hey, of all the commandments, here's the, here's the one, but it's really two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself because by doing that you fulfill all of the law. Love, right? Uh, And then Paul, when he writes, he he takes an identical thought uh, and just expounds on what love is and how love works. And so if you just said to me, hey, uh, boil it down, man, the essential thing, uh, the first message was Jesus. That's what we're all going to, if we go to church here, here's the one thing we have to agree on is Jesus, we can be in any other different place that we want to, but we have to agree on Jesus to move forward. And then I'll end it with just this. Man, the way we love is going to be the thing that we're known for and the thing that remains when everything else is said and done. First Corinthians 13 is probably the chapter that uh, goes into this idea of what love is and how to love and what love looks like more than anything else. Here's what's funny. This chapter probably is used more often than not in a wedding. And it's it's great for a wedding, but just listen to this real quick. The context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not only between a husband and wife. It's between me and you. And between each other and people you know and don't know. It's just the way, as believers, we're supposed to see life, see people, treat people, act, think. That makes sense? So it's like the essential. All right, so I'll just read it to you real quick and then then comment. Uh, So he just begins, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, look at this, really important. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be what? Wow, I mean, that's, that's essential. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It's not proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Let's just stop for a second. God, when you read it that way, uh, philosophically it's beautiful. That's why they put it in a wedding. But how do you personalize it? How do you know if you're doing it? How do you make it real mine? I'm that or I'm not that. Because here's what it's saying. It's not saying embrace the philosophical understanding of love. It's saying be love. Do these things. Think this way. Act this way. Uh, so I've I said this. Um, so we're most like our Father when we do what our Father does. We're not most like Him because we have a definition of who God is. We're like Him when we do what He does. So if you want to like, make this yours, pull it from the abstract... And the cosmos, and make it internal. It's in my heart. All you need to do, where it says love, put your name. Uh, John is patient, and John is kind. God, nobody says amen when I. And when I read it that way, I don't say, I'm like, boy, I am very far away from it. It kind of all of a sudden, like, uh, it was so philosophically beautiful. What beautiful, powerful, like a poem. Love is patient. Love is kind. But when I have to uh, see if, if it's me, love is, uh, Todd. Um, Todd is not jealous, and Todd is not boastful. Todd is not proud, and Todd is not rude. Becca says, Amen. Right on. So I didn't know what you were going to say. And we didn't practice this before, did we? I did not set it up. I was just, yeah, I was waiting to see what you were going to say. Because last night I tried it, and Amy was just like dead silent when I said "Marcus." like, but I surprised her. And so I had to actually text her afterwards and said, I'm sorry for ambushing you like that. And she said, Dad, I really do love Marcus. I want you to know. So it's uh... Uh, Pamela. Uh, Pamela is not irritable and Pamela keeps no records of ever being wrong. And Jeff says, amen, "Amen." smart man, smart, (laughs) smart man. So the only reason I just teach you this way um, it's philosophically, it doesn't help you to go, that's just a really beautiful speech or wow, you know, how creative it helps you. When you can bring it inside of you to allow the Holy Spirit the chance then to mold. Am I? So here's what I think. I think when we put our name in it, probably all of us feel like I fall very far short of that in total. You agree? So the thing is not to feel bad about it. Here would be the thing to do is, uh, God, help me. Let's work this inside of me. Lord, I need to yield more. I need you to have more control of my life. I need you to work on me. I need you to change me. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to say? To not have to feel guilty. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None of this is condemning. All of it's opportunity. God, work in me and change me and fill me. And that's good. Um, Love endures through every circumstance. We need to go to the next. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Prophecy. And speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last how long? Forever. Forever. Our knowledge is partial and it's incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes... let me Say that again. When the time of perfection comes, partial things will become useless to us. When I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child does, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. He's talking about a progression in love. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror that we can't quite, what is that? I see it, but I'm not sure what it is. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything. Everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever faith, hope, and love. Read it with me. And the greatest of these is so, three things remain faith, hope, and love. And of the three, here's the most essential love. It's powerful. Again, though, it's like that thing that I said with prayer. I can say it, but without ears to hear it. It just f- falls off of us. It doesn't penetrate into us. Now, this becomes more powerful as it penetrates into our spirit and into our hearts so that God can work this in- inside of us. Uh, I mentioned this last week. A church can be known for many things. Jubilee can be known for... I like the way they do communion. I like how casual they are. Uh, There are some churches that people like because of how formal they are. Some people like candles and some people like video. Some people like pianos and some people like bands and some people like it quiet and some people like it loud. Some people like a pastor who doesn't wear a tie and others like them when they wear robes. And all of it is okay and all of it has its place, but none of it is essential Does that make sense? The essential is a church that's known for how it loves. It can do all of those other things, but if we're not known for how we love, we've missed the target completely. If our concentration is on the non-essentials, then we're really wasting our time. It's not what it's supposed to be about, and it's so easy to spend your time, your effort, your energy on the non-essentials and not on the essentials, and he just boils it down. It's love, 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 love. All right, let's do these two things real quick, and then um, I'll give you three observations about love. You'll need a pen or a pencil when I get to the second part, or you can use the online U version of the notes. But uh, this first part, let me just comment. These were just some things that when I was studying, the Lord showed me. I'd never seen them before. Um, I don't know if this, this should be happening to you. If, if you're a studier of the scripture, and I hope that you are, and I would encourage you to be, and man, just like if you make a New Year's resolution, make a resolution to read the Bible this year. Just make a resolution. And then just start out on it. There are so many good programs you could find to read the Bible in a year. So many good ones. Um, I would just encourage you with this thought right here, that if you do that, you could read the same chapter A hundred times. And here's the thing that makes the Bible so unique and real. So it's called the Word of God, and it's alive and active. It says, so you could read it a hundred times, but all of a sudden you'll see something you've never seen before, that the Holy Spirit in that time suddenly makes it real to you. Does that make sense? It's almost like his hand reaches out and grabs your face and pulls it down to the page. Look at this. I got something for you today. So I saw this. I'd never seen it before. So let me give you two places where love is missing. Two places where love is missing. Really interesting. Uh, The first one... A place where love will be missing for some folks will be Judgment Day. Oh, wow. Judgment Day. So Paul wrote about it at the time of perfection. <laughs> Jesus just said it's the end of the age. It's when we all give an account of ourselves to him. So there's a scripture that I have taught from multiple times. And every time I've taught from it, I've been very honest. And maybe you're going to be like, that's the first time I've heard you say it, but... Maybe that's because today's the day you're supposed to hear it. I'm going to read the scripture to you. This scripture bothers me because sometimes I see myself in the scripture and I'm trying to figure out, God, I don't want that to happen to me, right? Now, I know God is full of grace and mercy and love. I know I don't get to heaven by what I do. It's because of what Jesus did. I get that. But sometimes I fall into this category. And So this, the context, it's on judgment day and it's a group of people I don't know how to say this. I want to call them disciples, but I don't know if it, if it would better be false disciples or um, mistaken disciples. I don't know how to say it. I'll let you judge it. It just, uh, it just goes like this. It's from Matthew chapter 7 on Judgment Day. Yeah. So we know the context. On Judgment Day, many. How many? Many, many man. That's, this is just scary to me. Because here's what it is. These are a bunch of people who thought they were okay. Not a few, but a bunch. Who are standing before the Lord thinking, I'm ready. Yeah. This, this is the, I'm ready. This is, this is going to be a good day. Yeah. So on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Get, get. They call him Lord. I mean, in their mind, they think it's good. Lord, Lord, we, hear, we prophesied in your name. And we cast out demons in your name. And we performed many miracles in your name. Now here's how you hope that it would end. Is that Jesus is like, you sure did. Well done. You worked hard. And those are awesome things, man. Come on in. But instead, Jesus turns the table on them. And he goes, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because I don't know who you are. I mean, like, that's a bad day. That's not a good day. And there's no recourse backwards from it. And their problem is they thought everything was good because we prophesied. And that's more than maybe a lot of us are doing. And we cast out demons, and that's probably more than a lot of us are doing. And we even did miracles, and that's probably more than a lot of us are doing. And so when they stand up to self-identify, listen to this, they identify by the works that they did. But Jesus, when he identifies them, says, I don't know who you are. And there's little clues here. So let me read one to you that really, uh, really makes um, powerful sense to me. John chapter 13, verse 35. Uh, just, just look at this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are what? my disciples. So when these guys, false disciples or mistaken disciples, when they go to identify who we are, they identify by their works. But Jesus said, the way you're identified is by how you love. And the one thing they never claimed standing before Jesus is Jesus. We loved in your name. We did miracles. We prophesied and we cast out demons, but they never said we. Lo- so can you do the works of Jesus and not love? According to that, you can. And if you don't get the love part right, you miss the boat entirely. And that's why churches that concentrate on the non-essentials, miracles, talking in tongues, even prophecy, they're important. Just because I say non-essential, I don't mean not important. The essential is to love, yes or no? Because to identify at the end of time by saying, I did all of these wonderful things. I prayed, and I gave, and I sang, and I cheered, and I said, amen, loudly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah okay <laughs> now the Lord may say I do know you come on you yeah, yeah he will say that <laughs> I get out of my car this morning Robert's getting out of his seat. <laughs> and he yells out they call me butter because I'm on a roll how about that <laughs> that is my new saying man that is this week. That is my saying. They call me butter because I'm on a roll. <laughs> my wife would say margarine, but I'm saying butter. Um, judgment day. You can't identify. It. The clarity of this is really important, uh, man. At 20 years, so I'm asking myself. What have I done that's really important? It's a lot of activity over 20 years, a lot of building over 20 years, a lot of gathering, a lot of energy, a lot of prayers. What, what's really going to remain? You know, my job is that um, clearly, a pastor's job is to care for the souls of his people and to prepare them to stand before the Lord. That's, that's really the most essential job that I have. I take that very seriously. I think you can see that. Um, so that it's a trick of the enemy to have people think that by all the stuff I'm okay. Okay. And the only way you're really okay is by the love in your heart for Jesus. Hear what I just said just now. Please hear me. How are you doing with that issue? Where are you at? How's your passion level? Do you love Him? Jesus' whole wording depart from me because I don't know you. That's the secret. He's, he's, he's giving the secret. It's to be known. Yeah. Not even to be seen, but to be known. So to, to give you the second place that it's missing. Um, <laughs> it can be missing in the church of all places. Matthew 24, and I don't have time. Today, to really teach on this. Matthew 24 is probably the most essential chapter when it comes to um, end times. Jesus and the disciples walk out of the temple and they ask him this very direct question, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Boy, you can't be any more direct than that. And so Jesus just, uh, he begins to teach them about what it'll look like before his return, the end of the age. And it's characterized by several things, but these two things really stand out. Uh, He said, many will come and deceive in my name. There'll be a lot of false teaching and a lot of false miracles. It's funny how these things kind of interconnect, huh? And uh, And then this is what he says, and he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world at large. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of, it really could read this way, the love of believers, because he's talking about believers. The love of many in the church will grow cold. The love. <clears throat> Would you agree with me that, um, So I don't know if it's the end days or not. I don't, I don't know for sure. I have my personal feelings about it. Maybe you do too but that's not even essential. Yeah. But would you agree with this, that there is a lot of deception in the world today? Yes. Can, we, can we agree with that? And that places, institutions that we trust it yes. to be places of truth yep. have in many ways let truth go. Yep. Including the church at large. Yep. So that, um, it, what it does is it, uh, it causes a... Not only a mistrust, but a, uh, um, there's a judgment, there's a suspicion. Instead of an innocence towards a beautiful thing that God's given, it, it becomes something that can even be mocked by people. Church. It, the butt of a joke. And we lose our innocence towards something that was supposed to be so wonderful for us. And the outcome is that it can harden our hearts. And in the middle of it, we don't let go because we know, but at the same time, our heart gets hard in the middle of it. And the thing that we're supposed to be known for is not the coldness and the hardness, but the love and the heat. Do you agree with me? How are you doing with it? So when I say the love issue, oh, man. I just got to skip. let's go to three observations from a pastor. from a husband, from a father, and from a friend. Three observations from a pastor, a husband, a father, and a friend. If you're like, "Who is that? that's me I'm talking about. Me. That's me. Okay, so, so let me try to spell this out for you. Uh, love. It's not the easy way to go. To really love is probably one of the most difficult things you'll ever actually do. It's easy to say I love, um, but when we say love, it means so many different things to some people. Go like this: I love my car, I love pizza, I love Chinese food, I love my wife. I hope you don't love them all the same way, right? I mean, yeah. like no, I'm all the same, exactly the same. They're different, right? We but we use that word to mean many different things. So when I'm talking about love, I'm talking about the kind of love that God has for us and that we're supposed to have for each other, the love of God. So that when I say love's not the easy thing to do, uh, by definition, this is 1 John 3, 16, by definition, look at this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Look at me real quick. How easy is it to lay down your life for another person? That's why said, Real love is not the easy way to go, man. It is so easy to say it, but to do it, it is hard to do it. Um, I think the most consistent model of love that I have in my life, and I am very fortunate, is my wife. You know, man, we just passed by number 35, I'm proud of that because for my family, it's a rare thing. A curse was broken. What I didn't have as a pedigree, God gave to me through second birth. My past may be fixed, but my future's wide open in Jesus, man. Amen. (laughs) I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the right words to describe it. In our marriage, um, I think it's equaled itself out today, but early on in our marriage, I, I think my wife was at a great disadvantage. So I think I was a very selfish person and very immature early in our marriage. Wanted things my way, misunderstood what love was, really didn't get how to love, more demanding uh, submission without leading with love, does that, yeah. I, I don't know if that, uh, and by nature, I'm sort of a cynical person, um, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, maybe I'm a pessimist a little bit, um, and and I, I tend to, uh, in my head, like I think something and it sounds really good, but when I say it, <laughs> I'm like, why did I say that, you, anybody ever done, like why It sounded so good here, right? And then I said it, and I was, yeah. So like in a marriage, you know, like uh, maybe the benefit of being married a long time is that you realize right when you say it, I shouldn't have said that. That's maybe the, you know, like, and I, I, so a couple nights ago, you know, uh, I just, this is sort of typical, make a few comments and then realize, God, man, why? Why do you say that to her? She didn't need to. You're just criticizing. You're, you're, you don't need to do that. And, and I, you know, I can see that it wounded her. But then here, here's the most wonderful thing. Um, she'll lay her life down for me right on the spot. She won't attack me or slap me. Curse me. Yell at me. Get offended at me? I'm, I'm not saying that's the way to be in a marriage all the time. Two people have to be willing to do that. But this is just the most consistent example of she was lay her life down for me. And so that night, we're getting ready for bed two nights ago. And uh, she came in the room and I just said, Can I, can I apologize for the 10 millionth time? On these three things that I said to you that I know I shouldn't have said, and I am so sorry, and they forgive me. But then I said to her, why is it you don't attack when I do things like that? (laughs) And She said, because I really love you. You can have anything you want when you do that. She fully gives room for the Holy Spirit to convict and change my heart. I've become a better husband because of the way she loves me. I'm a better pastor because of how she loves me. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying to you. I hold it up in esteem because I think the highest thing we can do for each other is to lay our lives down for each other, really lay our lives down for each other. And you don't have to pick this one thing to say that's that one thing. It's how loving each other, laying our lives down for each other. It's never the easy way to go. Oh, man. So much that I want to teach and not enough time to do it all. It's to, uh, love provides the way, but it doesn't make the decision. Jesus died for us to provide a way back to the Father, yes or no? But then he gives us the freedom of choice, correct? Love doesn't have to control. I did this and now I'm going to make you do it. Love is willing to let go, but love is also willing to hold on. Love is willing to keep its mouth shut, but love is also willing to confront. Love is not sloppy, but neither is love, only the law. Love is what it needs to be at the time it needs to be. Love is truth and it's grace. Love is what it needs to be. Um, let's give you the second one. Love love is always without exception, without there being any room for but in it, love is always redemptive. If you don't get anything else that I say, man, get this one. Love is always redemptive. Uh, Galatians chapter 6.1. Let me, let me just show you this real quick. Brothers and sisters, so he's speaking to believers again. If another believer, not the world, not the world at large, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should, read that word to me, should, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Love has the incredible ability to reach out and to say to somebody this is less than who you are but I don't judge you for that. Let me help you get back to where you're supposed to be. All of you who have raised children not raising maybe we're always doing that if you have them. (laughs) But those of you who have raised, you know this is true. At some point in a journey of a young adult becoming an adult, that person forgets who they are. They will look at you and say, I don't know who I am anymore, either through their actions through their words, through their decisions, whatever it is. And the most loving thing you can do at that time is not simply to take your hands off of it, freak out, yell, scream. Here's the most loving thing you can do. Tell them you may forget who you are, but I know who you are, and I will always know who you are, and I will help you walk in that thing. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Love is redemptive, man. Love reaches out. Love pulls back. Love restores. Love helps. Love is enough. If we say it's not, then it's simply because we haven't figured out how to love that way or we're not being loved that way. Am I okay? Uh, Let's give you the last one, and I got to get us to communion. Love, ultimately, is experienced. I've used this definition before, so I just want you to think about this. Um, conceptually, we, 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 we think conceptually, but it doesn't become real until we experience it. So to go from conception to reality is a really important move. So like the word fast, F-A-S-T, if you've never gone fast before, how in the world can I give you a definition of it? Right? I mean, so, so you're sitting, you've gone fast, but the person you're sitting next to has never gone fast. Tell me the word you'd use to describe it. It's like... And your heart, and your... So here's what you'd say. Get in. Put your seatbelt on. I'm going to show you what fast is. Because fast has to be known by experience... As opposed to definition. Do you agree? It's not fully known unless experienced. Love. Just don't, don't be lost right now. Love is not fully known by definition. Love must be experienced to be known. It must. This is, this is the, um, <laughs> the most remarkable thing that I'm trying to do right now. This is where my words fall so far short because all I'm trying to do is give you definition and you must experience and the only way you can experience this love is for God himself to love you. You, you must experience. Without this, then a New Year's resolution is willpower and not the power of God. This year will be very dynamic for you as you experience the love of the Father as opposed to just learning more definitions of what these things mean. Is that? Well, my hope for you, man, is that I'll shut up and that God will let you experience His love for you in just a second because that's the thing that'll change you and that's the thing that will remain in you for eternity and that's the thing that matters. Did you get it? So we're going to do communion. And here's what I don't want. I don't want you to do it because you know how. And I don't want you to do it because it's just a thing that we do once a month. You're supposed to experience the love of Jesus right now. To remind yourself how much he loves for you. And that he's gone to prepare a place for you. And that if it were not so, he would not have told us. And if he goes to prepare it. He'll also come to get us so that where he is, we may be also. And I wish uh, this is a Jewish tradition that Jesus introduces to a better covenant by saying, man, when we drink that cup, it's, it's the reminder, a, a Jewish bride, while her husband is preparing the place that they'll live, she would, it's, it's, the, it's the sealing of the covenant. She would drink it to remind ourselves. he's preparing a place for me and he's coming to get me and I don't belong to anybody. Every time I do this, I'm reminding myself who I belong to. I'm reaffirming my love and my covenant with him and I wait for my love to come and get me. And man, if you could experience that while we go into communion, oh, you'll long for it. You'll long for it. It's Jesus, I love you. How I love you. How I love you. God help us. Because for sure uh, we can't do this without you and we just really need you. Open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, our minds. Let us taste and see how good you are right now. Thank you for loving us. Lord, for people who are very far away from you right now, Throw them a lifeline. Let them see your hand reaching out to them. For people who feel very close to you. God, draw them even closer right now. Reveal your heart. Thank you that you love all of us, God. You call all of us right now. Jesus' name.